It's episode 35, and for this one, the target is painted and we are weapons free. I'm Will Meneker, joining me is Felix Peterman. Hello everybody, we are now speaking from my apartment where the 20 year old cat, Ernest, took a massive shit. <laughs> sort of like uh, when Christopher Moltisante got made and there was a black crow in the window. The cat taking a shit uh, portends our peak, which is now, just like Christopher getting made, <laughs> and our eventual downfall comes in here when all of us succumb to K2 addiction. <laughs> <laughs> Felix Peterman, and of course, Matt Christman. Roger Wilco, we have Target Acquired. I am Go for Launch, and also Infill. <laughs> in, incel? <laughs> yes, Incel, Infill. <laughs> and of course, we're talking like this because we are joined by a special guest for episode 35, Adrian Bonenberger, what's going on? Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Our pleasure. Adrian is a writer. He's a journalist, but most importantly, he's our first troop American to guest on the show. Uh, it's uh, very triggering for me to hear you guys refer to me as a troop or a veteran. So if you could just not do that for the rest of the show, I know that undermines the premise, but you Ooh, know, I'd appreciate I, I don't it. think it'll come up again. Don't worry. <laughs> and Adrian, you just. Uh, just to let you know, we are going to have a cartoon boing sound effect after your name every time it's said. And Adrian, one last thing. That's some really nice valor you got. It would be a shame if I stole it. <laughs> I can feel my valor being stolen right now, and I do appreciate that. <laughs> to the Golden Corral! <laughs> yeah, can you get us discounts at, at movies or um, like Applebee's or anything like that? Family Court, are there for that? I can. Like, I kind of need that. And it would be very unscrupulous, so let's do it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. But um, not only are you uh, our first troop guest, you're also coming to us from uh, overseas. Adrian, where are you right now? I'm in Kiev, Ukraine. Kiev? Since when, motherfucker? I forgot. Matt is from Wisconsin, the most cultured of all 50 states, and they know how to say Look, all. it's not called Chicken Kiev, okay? It is. It's like DJ Khaled, like Major Kiev. This is insane. It's Chicken <laughs> Kiev. I don't what think world so. are we living in? I'm being gaslit, and I do not appreciate it. <laughs> I was uh, corrected when I came out here by angry, muscular people uh, and told not to use the word Kiev, which is insulting to them, but rather to use the word Kiev. And I, I tried to guide my life um, by not offending muscular men. And there you go. Uh, I, I'm in I'm in Kiev right now. As a, as a representative of muscular men from Slavic descent, <laughs> we're mostly an easygoing type. <laughs> as they say... Uh, you know, when in Kiev, do as the Kievans do. <laughs> I, I live my life um, indulging in the pleasure of insulting muscled men, but from the anonymity of the internet, so I can get away with it. But, uh, but Adrian, what are you doing in Kiev is the more important question. So I've been here uh, back and forth since, uh, I guess, May of 2015, and just uh, going back and forth to the front lines, doing reporting, and trying to figure out what's going on here, which has uh, taken me the better part of uh, a year and a half. 
Now, if, if uh, to our listeners, if you haven't figured this one out yet, uh, this is definitely going to be the episode that gets us once and for all tagged as fascist, but I don't know which fascist. <laughs> no, 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 son. We, this is all, this is Soros, uh, this is the CIA. No, this is the us abetting the Nazi Wait, takeover. Guys, guys. The illegal coup. By the Nazis in Ukraine. I'm getting a phone call. It's a phone call we also got last episode that was edited out for some reason. It's Jared Kushner. Hello? Hello? I just want all everyone in Ukraine to get circumcisions. Okay, goodbye. That was very clear. And that yeah, sounded wow, like him, too. I have a T1 line, Adrian. I'm a gamer. Yeah, no, we, are, we are all feds. That's a given. Adrian is obviously from USAID, operating it under deep cover from the CIA to help uh, arm the fascists who will overrun all of uh, Eastern Europe. And we are in the pay of the state. It's great. If we're in the pay of the state, can we be in the marshals like Raylan Givens? We'll talk to the handler about that. Okay. We'll see. Michael Weiss, so check your email. <laughs> you know, I, something that I always found interesting about these conspiracy theories, I think it's a sign of paranoia when you attribute things to the CIA. Most of the CIA people I've met, no offense personally, I hope, taken here, uh, really aren't I mean they're not doing the cool stuff they're sitting behind desks they're like they're they're reviewing satellite imagery they're not drinking because many of them are Mormons uh, oh, and it's wow. just uh, yeah like I, I, I you come over here to a place like this and you you kind of wish the CIA was here but they're nowhere to be seen. Sounds like something hmm, that a CIA agent would yeah, probably be. Of course, Boy, of course. it sure course. does feel like this place could use some CIA agents fomenting <laughs> unrest. Maybe getting some Stinger missiles in Donetsk. Right. <laughs> but Adrian, uh, so you say you've been you've been going, you've been sort of like splitting your time. You've been going back and forth, uh, covering uh, what's going on in Ukraine and the conflict that's happening there right now between. Like the Ukrainian nationalists and the sort of Russian separatists, and then Russia has since annexed Crimea as well. Can you give us sort of like a the the, the quick take on the the contours of this conflict right now? Yeah, it's it's um, so Euromaidan was the I think the third uh, Ukrainian revolution, and it's the first one to be really taken seriously. Um, what happened was a bunch of people in their twenties and thirties, bunch of Bernie Bros, really, um, <laughs> who were interested in anti-corruption, uh, more transparency, and being closer with the European Union, uh, started protesting and otherwise known as CIA agents. They were all CIA plants. Um, they're just on payroll, every one of them. And um, the the president of Ukraine at that time, this dude named Viktor Yanukovych, is just like a dope. He was like a retard. And he killed a bunch of them and, and outraged the population, which spontaneously, and with no abetting from the CIA, uh, probably shot, this shocked the CIA, I'm sure. I'm sure the CIA was uh, you know diligently monitoring ISIS uh, and uh, American citizens uh, and were surprised to find out that Ukrainians even existed. Well, and, they were uh, they were setting up our podcast, to be fair to them. Right. <laughs> right. Can we give them $100,000 a year or $200,000 a year? What's in our budget here? Adrian, it sucks, though, because like they were setting us up with the podcast, but they were all Mormon. So yeah. we, couldn't just, we couldn't just be cheap and loud and drinking all the time. And yeah. just, you know, they, they wouldn't even use Kratom. They were happy that I was poly, though. They, did, they, did, like, yeah, they could work with that. Yeah. Yeah. 
This this Christman guy, he's he, he gets it. He gets it. <laughs> um, anyway, Yanukovych. Long story short, he steals uh, you know forty billion bucks from the state treasury. Goes to Russia. Um, Putin annexes, invades and annexes Crimea, and then starts a series of protests in the east. Um, by uh, pro-Russians. There are legitimate pro-Russians living in the east of Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine didn't really have an army. Um, in a, they're, they're the only country in the world to have uh, given up their nuclear arsenal. They had like 1,200 nukes in 1991, gave them to Russia because cuck. why would you need the ultimate cucks? <laughs> yeah, why would you need nukes this day and age? Um, and then Ukraine has been sort of uh, fighting to reclaim the eastern part of their country ever since, having assumed that Crimea was just a total wash. They weren't going to get that back. Uh, and that brings us to today. And so, like, when you first started going over uh, to the Ukraine, like, what, like, what were you doing? Like, why, why did you, why, why Ukraine out of like all the places in the world to to go and cover? Like most good journalists, I started with a false premise, which was uh, that there there are these Soviet veterans of Afghanistan who are participating in Euromaidan, which reminded me a lot of Vietnam veterans I knew. And I thought that I could befriend them and that we were going to talk about Afghanistan and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun adventures together. And what happened instead was they loathed me and they did not understand me at all. (laughs) And in the process of being loathed, I found the real story. It wasn't a sort of a brotherhood of Afghanistan veterans? Not at all. No, they did not like me from the beginning. And since that time, I've been wandering around looking for friends in Ukraine. So did you just try to come up to these guys and you were like, hello, fellow Afghanistan veteran. Would you like to talk to a USA (laughs) reporter, sir? Yeah, that's how (laughs) basically that's how it happened. And the answer that I got um, more or less unequivocally, though uh, not not in a coordinated way, was no, we would not. Okay. Was it just your Americanness or like... I don't know. We were, the the guys were talking. We we're talking about like lunch pal versus hip hop style troops. Uh, we're gonna get into that later. It was <laughs> you know it, it, this is this is funny. I'm you guys aren't gonna be able to understand what I'm what I'll tell you. You won't be able to empathize with this. But a lot of them thought that I was working for the CIA. <laughs> oh yeah, that's never. We don't know about that. I hate when that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they wanted yeah. me to give them money to fund things that they. Were we're doing and I was like I'm really actually not the CIA and uh, unfortunately I'm not sure that they're here so I know you've heard that rumor it's just a lie I wish it were true but it's no it's not true there is there is no, there are no gods and there are no masters I'm sorry <laughs> only masters and margaritas in that part of the world am I right oh zing. oh yeah upcoming guest Jacob Backrack <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding out for Jonathan Saffron 4. Hell yeah. I well, want to well, talk to Jonathan Saffron 4 lives right next door to our Park Slope mansion. That's, that's true. He does get there. Yeah, it's we'll go over get. there and we'll get a cup of that uh, extra exclusive sugar that only rich people have access Yo, to. Yo, fuck Jonathan Saffron 4. We taught him how to email wives. Like, he <laughs> learned that from us. But uh, back to back to the global crisis. Back, yeah, no, this is going to be one of actually our more educational episodes. This is like... Well, we, I mean, if you consider the propaganda that you get from the U.S. government 
uh, instruments than yeah, if you consider that. <laughs> but, I mean, but I mean education. I mean education. I consider it propaganda and brainwashing, but you can call it whatever you want. I'm just saying it stands apart from our other shows where we just talk about um, the weird sexual proliclivities of conservative plans. You mean the ones, you mean the episodes where we establish a basis of trust with a gullible <laughs> listener base? Yes, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and we hit them with the unalloyed state propaganda? Yes. You mean that was one? Exactly. The non-subscription shows. Um, and and talk and autism too. So forget that. But um, Adrian, now correct me if I'm wrong. You also like when you there like later you found out that like what was it like your former unit was training soldiers in in the Ukraine army? Yeah, that was another component of my going out there, uh, which was based on false premises. Um, the the 173rd Airborne. So I was in the army for seven years. Um, Kind of like uh, Polly Shore, I, I like to think. And um, the, did you join to like hook up with a girl or something? <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I did. I'm not. I'm not proud of it, but I did. And I didn't even get to hook up with her. So uh, that's usually how know. it goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Catch twenty two. Um, yeah. The and so I, I got access to a training area. Um, to go cover this, you know, my former unit training Ukrainian National Guardsmen, many of whom had formerly been militiamen. And one of the things that was going on, actually the first time I met or interacted with Michael Weiss of the Daily Beast. Um, What's up? Our boy. Yo, yo, yo uh, yeah, codename uh, Dragon. Codenamed, he's codenamed Dragon, um, as, as we in the CIA know. The, um, he, he had a couple Daily Beast reporters who were concerned that Azov Battalion, which is one of the battalions, one of the volunteer units in Ukraine, perennially being accused of uh, being neo-Nazis and fascists. I'm still not sure, although there is a lot of convincing evidence that that's kind of what's going on there. Um, he So he was looking at that and and thinking that Azov was being trained by the U.S. military. I was out at Yavariv. I was talking with this guy, these guys, and I, I didn't meet any Azov guys out there. I met a lot of them later, uh, but that was that was my first run-in with him, was telling him, like, actually, I think there are not any Azov guys being trained by the U.S. Um, not that it really matters one way or another, to be perfectly honest. But, uh, yeah, and, and that was interesting, like... Um, I know this is kind of probably boring for you guys, but the uh, the tactics of it. So the U.S. military and the Soviet doctrine no, we are love really tactics. different. We love talking tactics. Let's, break let's break down some tactics. You dude. sitting here, I'm trying to be franchise player, and we in here talking about tactics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, break down the tactics, Adrian. This isn't the cool tactics. This is the boring stuff. So the. Uh, the U.S. military doctrine is based on sort of like the soldier level and goes up, um, and sergeants have a lot of power and responsibility in the U.S. military, mostly because it's easier that way, uh, because in America you do things smarter, not harder. Um, in the Soviet military, it's all about the officer. It's top down and the officers have to do everything, all the planning, they have all the authority, and it totally sucks to be an officer. Um, and I like that about the US military when I was an officer because your sergeants actually do a ton and you can tell them like, hey, I need you to do X, Y, or Z. They will then fill in the rest of the alphabet without you having to tell them to do it because they have power and authority, which is you great. You can delegate. 
you can delegate. And um, what I got to see was that a lot of these militia dudes had been fighting in the East, uh, these Ukrainian militia guys had been fighting in the East along American lines uh, because they didn't have, there was no authority. The Ukrainian military didn't exist in 2014. There were like 40,000 dudes with AK, different caliber AK-47s, different shades of uniform, Wait, uh, I, like I, five I, tanks. Can we pause for one second? How did Ukraine not have a military in 2014? They gave up their nukes and there were a series of uh, basically cost-saving measures that came about after that uh, very important decision that they made in 1994. They were like, hey, we don't have nukes. And then they were like, you know what? If we don't need nukes, why are we doing upkeep on this other junk too? So they had a good police force, um, not morally good, but um, good in terms of efficacy, I guess. But they didn't have uh, much of a military. They just let it go to seed. <clears throat> um, yeah, so these National Guard dudes, I, I, I got to see them training uh, with the Americans and, and they were, the, at the same time that the Ukrainians were trying to sort of like put the Soviet model that they were comfortable with on the National Guard, uh, the National Guard guys were getting training from Americans who were teaching them, you know, the responsibility and authority of sergeants, this kind of thing. And I got to see that they were, I, I don't know, I, I thought that they were developing this this interesting sort of like quasi-Soviet, quasi-American middle ground where the, the officer had a lot more responsibility than, um, than the sergeants normally did uh, in the American system. But sergeants actually had some authority and it seemed a lot to me like Euromaidan and, and just, just sort of Ukrainians taking control of their own lives rather than waiting for the president or the Fuhrer or the, you know, the Soviet leader um, to, to tell them what to do. So that's kind of how I fell in love with Ukraine is just seeing people um, take control of their own destiny and being irritated with the system. Although they're really, it's it's sad how they they tend to idolize America. They're like, yeah, we want to be more like America. We want to be like more like, more like Europe. Uh, we don't like corruption. We like transparency. And I'm like, I well, I, I agree with you. I don't like corruption and I do like transparency, but you're not going to find those things in America or Europe. You're just going to see bigger numbers behind the corruption. But I guess we all need dreams. But broadly, like, there are, like, Ukraine, like, how split is Ukraine between people who identify more with the Ukrainian nationalism and Europe and America and people who would be more than happy to be part of Russia again? It's, that's, that's a great question. The, it's, see, the thing with Ukraine is that most people would happy to be would be very happy to be down with Russia again. This is something Putin doesn't understand, that the whole war is like the war is the only thing that's keeping Ukraine from Russia. Like 80 percent of the country probably just doesn't care. It's like every country with every issue. Most people, most Ukrainians don't care. The thing that they see is that their currency is worth, you know, 25 to the dollar. And uh, three years ago, it was worth like eight to the dollar. So that's what they care about. They care about how life sucks now. Uh, and about 10% of the country really wants to be uh, totally independent and 10% of the country wants to be, um, so I, I did bad numbers there. Let's say 10, 10, and 70. 10% of the country are crazy nationalists who just want Ukraine to be its own country, its own planet. 10% uh, want to be with Europe and America. 10% want to be with Russia. The rest of the 70% don't give a damn. And what percentage of the Ukrainian nationalists would you define as Nazis? That's probably... 
Oh, that's that's a tough call. Um, they're, they're there. I, I don't know how many of them. Um, maybe twenty percent of the nationalists, but they're they're there. I mean, like, have you talked to any? Oh yeah, I, I have. Okay, what are they like? Good dudes, um, except except they believe in you know uh, really weird racial theories that have been categorically disproven uh, uh, by whom in yeah, the West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. globalist, <laughs> globalist. Uh, Andrew Sullivan uh, by the uh, USA. Not, not a not a conservative darling, I might add, uh, has had several things to say about these. <laughs> no, seriously though, like uh, like when you talk to these guys, like I mean, what what do they tell you? Yeah, they'll, it's it's so you'll have a normal conversation with them. You'll have a beer. You'll be talking about normal things, and then at a certain point, uh, you'll bring up like an LGBT parade, or uh, you know, like uh, how there are many, you know, sixteen percent of America is African Americans, and that's that's when the conversation goes into some very weird terrain, and you learn that you're not actually talking with a nationalist. You're talking with a neo-Nazi or a fascist or a white supremacist. Um, I was. I wanted to run a, a theory I had by you about Ukraine, uh, as the battle between the Ukrainian nationalists and the Russian separatists as sort of an intra alt right civil war. I basically Ooh. see the uh, the Russians as sort of your MRA alt righter. You know, you care a lot about having your kids and having good strong family values where the male is valued. You know. And that, like, Putin's Russia feels that way. Like, it's, it's very much about reasserting masculine authority. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Ukrainian Nazis seem to be more of your, like, Gamergate sort of irony Nazi with, Stephen, <laughs> with Stepan Bandera playing the role of Pepe the Frog. <laughs> I just oh wonder if you thought about that theory. Uh, I, I, I have not because I'm not very smart, uh, and I'm glad that you have to correct my uh, unintelligent uh, deficiency. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, yes. <laughs> but, like, but, but this is the thing, though. Like, uh, it, it, it's hard to follow, but like, what I'm trying to pin down is like, who are the fascists in Ukraine? Because it seems like there are sort of Russian fascist biker gangs and then Ukrainian nationalist sort of neo-Nazi biker gangs. Is like, is the Sons of Anarchy involved in any of this? <laughs> yeah, where the Sons, where's SOA getting their, uh, their, their yeah. guns? Who are they you know, giving we, guns to? We, we need to have a sit down with Azov and then get them to roll over on the one-niners. They, you know, when you think about the Sons of Anarchy would actually be perfect in the Ukrainian conflict because they always fuck up every plan they're involved in, and that's something that they would have a lot in common with many of the participants. And they could also have a running gun battle on a highway with RPGs, and the Easy. cops would never show up. Easy. Yeah, it would be like charming. Yeah. They'd be like, yo, we can't, we can't kick the sons out. We can't put sanctions on the sons. They do a charity picnic every year in gun box. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, you know, this is why it's taken me like a year and a half to, to, to figure to figure the conflict out. The, the truth is, most of the Ukrainians are um, that most of the nationalists, but also the, the Ukrainians who support the nationalists, um, patriotic Ukrainians. Um, are, they just legitimately want their own country, and it's not World War II. Like all of the analogies you hear about Ukraine, inevitably go back to World War II and the Nazis and the Soviets, this, that, and the other. 
Um, but for Ukraine, the most traumatic experience was in World War One, where they, like Poland, like Czechoslovakia, like all of these other countries that got their independence based on ethno-linguistic false heritage, uh, they didn't get their country. And not only did they not get their country, they got beaten up by the Poles and the Americans and the Russians, and just about everyone who could take a piece out of them did. And so they missed the like, they missed the bandwagon in 1919, back when it was cool to have your own country. And a lot of them now are like, and we still want our own country. Um, and it's kind of sad. I, I mean, like that's that's I I that's why I feel for the Ukrainian people. It's like you know, yeah, you're right. Like the Middle East got colonized after the Ottoman Empire fell apart, and you guys got colonized, and everyone else in Europe got their own country. So maybe maybe it's your turn to have your own country. Totally. Take it's it, too take bad it they don't realize that having your own country is kind of overrated. <laughs> Yeah. You, get right, a, right. you, you get a dumb flag that's rarely very symmetrical even. A stupid national anthem that you can't even sing. The Olympics. Stupid Olympics. <laughs> Olympics kind of suck. I mean, why couldn't you just get the I mean, best players in the world at all those sports and play each other regardless of country? I, you like, know, I, well, I kind of think the only successful sovereignty was uh, Goon Island. I <laughs> <laughs> don't believe her in that. But... Um, you also mentioned that, that you were sort of like coming back and forth uh, from Kiev to uh, the front. Where is sort of like the front in this conflict right now and how intense is it? Like, is it like just sort of who's, who's shooting at whom and like how intense is, is the fighting? The front is, um, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know exactly how, how, how long it is, um, but it's a little swath of terrain that runs from the north of Lugansk city down to uh, the outskirts, the eastern outskirts of Mariupol, which is this old Greek city uh, from ancient times. And uh, it's uh, part, parts of it are totally quiet. Parts of it are just like there's a, a couple Ukrainian checkpoints and some, you know, kilometers worth of fields and then some separatist checkpoints and they don't fire at each other at all. And then there are five cities uh, or towns where there's heavy fighting every day. Um, and the fighting, I, as far as I could tell, both, both sides uh, start it with small arms fire and then one whatever side gets the worst <laughs> of the small arms fire ends up escalating it with uh, heavier stuff like... Um, like mortars or artillery or rockets or tanks. Uh, when I was there, the separatists started it by shelling a checkpoint with heavy mortars with 120s, um, which is a, a really, really big mortar system, um, about uh, 300 meters. They were shelling a Ukrainian checkpoint that was about 300 meters away from where I was staying. And uh, from there, the Ukrainians you know, answered and they just went back and forth uh, for the night. It's, it's like being in a really heavy thunderstorm. Um, and and it's yeah, it's 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 really sounds hot. considerably more frightening to me. But um, I'm not used to this kind of thing. But but exactly like who is actually shooting at who? So like there there are is the Ukraine National Guard or militia on one side, and then is it actually the Russian army firing at them, or is it Russia? Is it separatists in Ukraine who have their own militia National Guard that's outfitted by Russia? I think it's all of those things. I, I, well, technically, the National Guard, the Ukrainian National Guard, is supposed to be. What I heard when I went there was that they were in charge of the ATO, but when you go to the front lines, the army is there. Uh, and but then, 
There are also militia units that come out, and the militia is supposed to be task organized under the National Guard. I assume it's as confusing um, on the separatist side as it is in the Ukrainian side. Uh, they fight, they, they, they shoot at each other, and from what I understand from the separatist side, you can, you can tell who's shooting at you based on how good they are. So what I saw was a really effective mortar fire mission that lasted about uh, 10 minutes on a Ukrainian checkpoint. Every bit is good, maybe even better than some of the mortar missions that I saw when I was in the US military. My guess would be that those separatists are probably uh, Russian volunteers, dudes who are like, I'm going on vacation uh, for a couple of years to be in Ukraine and fire a mortar system, which is what I was trained to do in the Russian army. Um, and I think that's kind of how it works over there. But it's on the Ukrainian side, it's very, um, it's it's very mixed up, and I, I think it's it's mostly like who who has the weapons, who has the training, and who is who's at full you know strength. What, what units at full strength? They're going to the front today or or for this week. How much how much more lit would it be if General Breedlove at NATO had gotten his way and escalated the shit out of that situation with some good old fashioned Western arms? Oh man, way lit, lit the hell up. Felix, did you, did you oh, have yeah. a question about Chechens? I did, yeah. I have a question about Chechens, and uh, I haven't been following Ukraine as much as I have uh, Syria, recent Iranian elections, and Kojima's post Kunami activities. <laughs> <laughs> sort of my like three major areas of interest if people follow my work. But uh, so there's been a, a lot of weird stuff about Chechens. Uh, Ramzan Kadyrov, the R Chechen president who uh, has the best Instagram in the account in the world. And, you know, I have a little bit of solidarity with Katerov because he was briefly suspended for uh, <laughs> putting two uh, Putin opponents and photoshopping a crosshair onto them on Instagram, which I always liked. But... Uh, Kadarov about two years ago threatened to send a lot of the uh, it wasn't the Kadarovsky which are his it's sort of like a weird private army he has that not only acted as his bodyguards and private army but also compete in the MMA shows he promotes but he threatened to send some uh, militias loyal to him to uh, Donbass and he ended up not doing it uh, but they've found they found a few Chechen corpses. Uh, there are reports of people who speak the languages. There are reports of Georgian Muslims that had fought in the Second Chechen Civil War being there. And most notably, uh, I have to pull up this guy's name again because I am shit with names, but uh, Isa Munev, who was the military commandant of Donetsk, or uh, Grozny, sorry, during the uh, Second Chechen Civil War, uh, was killed in Ukraine, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, those, I, so I, I've, I've never met uh, Chechens, but I've heard of Chechens fighting on both sides, actually. So it's uh, this is a place where the Chechens get to work out their frustrations on each other. There are anti-Russian Chechens who are angry at the destruction of their um, semi-autonomous region. And uh, then there are pro-Putin Chechens fighting with the separatists. I even, uh, last year when I was in um, Mariupol, 
I was uh, there was a mosque in Mariupol, and I was asking the uh, the guy who I, I walked in there one day with an, an interpreter, and I was like, "Hey, I've you know I've I've heard these rumors. Like, what's do do you have a you know are there people who are." Uh, worshiping here and then going to the front lines to fight and they were like yeah that we have soldiers and volunteers here um, and I, I subsequently heard a rumor which I was never able to confirm unfortunately uh, that there were people who had fought for Isis who were fighting uh, on the Ukrainian side this is like it's just being out here and being close to a war zone you hear it's it's a lot of rumor mongering there are, you, you hear incredible tales and then some of them end up being true so I don't know about well, that yeah, one, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of like what I've always said and people have gotten mad at me for this but typically when people get the maddest it's when you say the truest things war is a lot like E3 <laughs> uh, a lot of rumors Mr. Obama, this message is for you, my friend. At some point in time, hopefully through the uh, the World Wide Web, this thing makes it to your iPhone or your laptop or something along those lines. But I wanted to share a thought that I have for you, sir. I understand your compassion for certain people. I understand your compassion for your agenda. I would have you consider for a second, Mr. President, that every single day there are men and women around the world who are fighting not just for my freedom but as the commander-in-chief for your freedom there are men and women who are dying in the line of duty there are police officers dying in the line of duty and I would have you consider for a second Mr. Mr. President, President that it's a slap in the face to not only me as a citizen of this great land but to every single fallen soldier that you would put on a pedestal and make a hero out of a young boy who makes a clock while the sons and daughters of fallen soldiers don't even get a phone call. They don't get an invite to Washington. The widows of fallen soldiers don't get a high five from you, don't get a steak dinner. They don't get an invite to the Oval Office and you wanna hang a clock that a young man made and in the Oval Office. Mr. Obama, President Obama, my friend, get your shit together. For the love of God, get your shit together. I don't think you're this dumb. You can't be this dumb. You cannot be this much of an asshole. You can't. You've got to have some sort of semblance of knowledge that you are the commander and chief of the single greatest military on the planet. And there are men and women who go to war for you. There are widows. Right now, as we speak, of men who have died in the line of duty, on your watch, on your clock, and you want to fly a young man who made a clock out to the Oval Office? Mr. Obama. Mr. President. My friend. Mr. Obama. President Obama. My friend. Mr. Obama. Mr. President. Mr. Obama. President Obama. My friend. Mr. Obama. My friend, I would love to sit down and have a beer with you one of these days and figure out what the hell goes through your brain. Because your actions show me that you have got to be 
absolutely just one of two things. Purposely being an asshole or one of the most aloof motherfuckers on this planet. Mr. Obama, I hope you have an amazing day. I hope that at some point in time you pull your head out of your ass and realize exactly what it is that you're doing. And I hope at some point in time that you actually show some respect and some dignity for the men and women who have fought and died on your watch. Instead of hanging a clock on the mantle of, of the Oval Office, perhaps you should hang the helmet of a fallen soldier. Perhaps you should put the boots of a fallen soldier as a reminder of what the fuck it is that you were elected to do. Mr. Obama, have an amazing and epic day. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so we know that they have Chechens on both sides, but what what is the breakdown of like each side's international brigade? Like, what kind of third-party people from other countries are coming on either sides do you, have you heard of? So, based on what I've heard of and seen, the third-party participation in on the separatist side is mostly former USSR countries. Um, and I've never met those separatists, but I imagine that they're very similar to the uh, people who are fighting for the militias who are international. Um, who are largely coming from former British colonies. Um, but then there are also people from Russia. I mean, it's, it's, it's at, at that level, it's not about ideology. It's more about people. There's a lot of, you know, kind of wastrels and adventurers and scumbags and villains and people who uh, want an excuse to fire a mortar or an AK-47. Yeah, and, and, and then some people who are who, who fought in one war and kind of became addicted to it and this is like this is this is their version of being junkies out in the alley, like asking the one person you don't ask for for a fix. Like this is this is rock bottom. The guys who would have volunteered for like Rhodesia in the sixties. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. What do we got left here? Well, Rhodesia. I guess we're going to Rhodesia. Um yeah, mostly because it's really dirty and disgusting and it's hard to get good equipment. And why would you fight a war? If you could fight a war with thermals and like awesome heavy metal soundtracks and helicopters and secret weapons, would you want to do that? Or would you want to fight a war with like an old Makarov that fires once every three rounds and no thermals and instead of heavy, uh, heavy metal, uh, some lame soundtrack that has like, I don't know, medieval Renfair times music? Which one would you want? All I got to say to that is, let the bodies in the rubble. Let the bodies in the rubble. Which side uh, has the most representation from the manosphere? Which manosphere, manosphere is. Where are the manosphere drawn when they decide to fight? Matt Forney is about to dedicate whichever side uh, sort of commits to lowering the age of consent, <laughs> from what I hear. <laughs> so it's really anyone can bid for that high-value soldier. <laughs> um, have, you, uh, have you crossed the lines at all? Have you talked to anyone on the other side, any of the Russian separatists? I'm not. So I. Um, this is my interaction, my only interaction with the uh, with the embassy, which uh, the U.S. embassy, which is that after very shortly after I got there, I wrote a story um, about how the greatest threat of World War Three would be that the Russians who were treating. Ukraine very contemptuously at that time uh, would sort of wander in and encounter 
uh, one of the well-trained uh, Ukrainian National Guards units or one of these militias that was that actually got American doctrine and could fight uh, and get torn up, uh, which would then require Putin to kind of go in and take the situation more seriously and then maybe careen into Poland or Estonia, unintentionally provoking World War III. I said the, the, the greatest danger to Putin is not that he, uh, you know, not that he defeats Ukraine comprehensively, but that he gets defeated and then suddenly he has to do all these crazy things and maybe use nukes or who knows what. Um, I wrote this and the Russians did not like it. Um, so I, I got a lot of threats. Uh, I was being trolled mercilessly on Twitter and it really hurt my feelings. R.I.P. your menchies. R.I.P. my menchies. It happened. And, uh, and I was encouraged by people who uh, knew about the situation um, that not to go to Russia. So that was when I first arrived in okay. Ukraine and kind so, of so I, you I just can't, haven't gone over there. Uh, unfortunately, you cannot bring us real journalism which is both sides yeah i can't what do you you think ron fournier would prescribe as a solution to this ongoing crisis world war (laughs) four apple i don't know i don't know what the third world war will be thought with but i know where the fourth world war will be resolved in applebee's america (laughs) (laughs) jazz flute off and so you, uh, you mentioned that you were 300 yards away from a, a checkpoint that got shelled. But like, in, in your time there, like, what, what, like, what is, like, what was the wildest shit you've seen um, in Ukraine uh, covering this? The the weirdest thing for me was a couple days after that checkpoint, I was out in a village uh, called Opitne, and it's about two kilometers away from the Donetsk airport. And um, it used to be a village of 10,000, and it's around 40 people now, and they're living in cellars, um, living in the earth. And it, the whole place smells like, um, uh, uh, like a slaughterhouse, like there's blood in the air, and just and people's eyes were really weird, and there were soldiers wandering around as well. It felt like a post-apocalypse. It felt like I was in a Francis, a quite normal Francis Ford Coppola dream, uh, not a nightmare of his, just a normal dream. And uh, yeah, I wanted to get out of there. Really, I, I felt like that was there. Were, there was no law there. People were just kind of doing what they wanted to do. It was crazy. It was madness, and I wanted to get out. Uh, that was the craziest thing that I saw. I'd, I'd seen that stuff in Afghanistan as a soldier up in the mountains when, you know, where the government doesn't go, the Taliban doesn't go, people people living kind of like animals. The government doesn't go. The Taliban doesn't go. Adrian Bonenberger <laughs> says it in. Right, right. Ma- managed to quite stupidly end up there by accident and is deeply ashamed of the experience. Um, and my, watching my fellow humans uh, live at that level. But we should also talk about Gamergate, I think. <laughs> now, where are the ghost bros? Have you seen any ghost bros Wait, volunteering I, for either side? They're all Ukrainians. The Ukrainians are all the ghost bros. I did see, I, I think on your Twitter account or something you posted, that uh, one of the units that you embedded with gave you as a going away present a fucking anti-tank round that looked like a big green dildo. Yeah, yeah. I well, I I was that tough. Um, getting on an airplane. (laughs) That's. uh, I shouldn't have had that to begin with. I got a a, a present that was wrapped up, which I assumed was going to be uh, like an instrument or something like that. Flashlight. 
you know, memories of the good times, and it turned out to be an expended shell um, from uh, an anti-tank weapon, which, I don't know, I returned to the Ukrainians uh, as soon as possible, and the, the less said about that, the better. <laughs> Recycle. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, I guess that's... Um, do you guys have anything more you want to ask about the about Ukraine? Last thing, last thing. Uh, would you describe Ukraine as a study in contrasts? <laughs> no, yeah, I think I think uh, we've we've fulfilled the educational portion of our show as we need for our five hundred one c tax free requirement. <laughs> uh, but we did. Uh, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about your experience as a ranger. I mean, obviously, all of us we would have gone to ranger school, but it ever since a certain issue in the military they've sort of filled uh, the military with skill positions with running style soldiers flashy hip hop style <laughs> diva soldiers leaving no room for lunch pal 9 to 5 guys like us yeah they, they really they, they're starting to really emphasize natural ability over the ability of someone to think their way into being a soldier but yeah, but Adrian Adrian has written uh, extensively about his time in Afghanistan and uh, yeah we just wanted to ask you a little bit about that were you now, when did you be like when you joined the army, right? You went through basic training, and I imagine day one they roasted the shit out of you for your name, right? My name and the fact that I went to college were made me frequent uh, <laughs> frequent targets. Did you like? Did you go to officer school before the army, or like when did you become an officer? So this there's this funny corner of the U.S. military which is just like. Uh, um, you know, it's a vestigial, it's a holdover from the aristocracy. And uh, what it is, is you can be an officer if you went to college by going to something called OCS, <laughs> Officer Conduct. Yeah, that's, that's it. Uh, so I, I, <laughs> I went after college. I, I had a normal college experience. Then I went to basic training. Uh, then no I went to safe space. OCS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, what do you think of your safe space there, professor? I guess they didn't teach you that in college. That's what they, that, no, now they when you not. sign up for the army because of Obama, they're like, what are your pronouns, soldier? <laughs> <laughs> right. Obama has definitely ruined the army the way that, in the same way that he's ruined America. It's, uh, it's not entirely visible, but it's there. It's there. You can feel it. <laughs> so, okay, so you became a, an officer, but when did you become a ranger? Because that is the real, that's the elite. That's, that's, not, that, that's not like the bullshit troops. These are the real fucking troops, the real heroes. So I, I went to ranger school, which does not make me a ranger, but it means that I'm ranger qualified. Uh, and rangers will be very fast to point out the distinction. Oh, I see. Um, I went through ranger school as two for two months of training for some people and nine months of training for other people. I went through first time go uh, and it was, yeah, it was miserable. It was the hardest training I'd ever done. It's, so uh, I can't stole valor from actual <laughs> rangers by claiming their status as ranger qualified. I have not stolen any valor no, from Rangers. No, yeah, Adrian was an actual Ranger, Matt. I know that you want to find people who stole valor, but we're going to do it after the show. We're going to go out in the town and find well, valor thieves. Well, Adrian, you, you, wrote, you wrote a series of articles about going through the Army's Ranger School for an outlet called Task and Purpose, which is the most alpha-sounding. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Yeah. I have neither of those things. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you write... Um, uh, 
two months of pain, torture, humiliation, sleep deprivation, and hunger for the 20 to 25% of candidates who make it through without recycling. More months for everyone else. I was one of the lucky few who got through without recycling. First time go, and I'm happy to share insights into the process. So that's good that you're sharing insights into this and you aren't just bragging with this series of articles. Right. Well, the, I mean, the experience for me was uh, just a constant series of humiliations and embarrassments and failures to do things properly, which is ranger school. You just do that uh, without sleep or food. I could have done that with sleep and food if I hadn't been in the military, but doing it without sleep and food sounds manlier. Um, and, you know, that was a, probably a concession to interesting people in reading the piece. But the truth is, yeah, I, I got through, I think, more or less accidentally. Like the, the real secret to ranger school can be boiled down to if you go to ranger school and you're physically fit enough to do it, then just don't quit. Like if you don't quit, then you'll probably make it through. I'm living proof. Did your uh, feeling of accomplishment about that uh, graduation get reduced any when those two females passed ranger school I believe uh, recently very much because of course as everybody knows you know women can't do things the same way that men can right, so because of the blood that swashes through them all day right. Right, I, yeah. I mean obviously this was some kind of trick that the generals and Obama were playing and yeah like 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 every other ranger I just felt very diminished by the fact that these uh, these uh, I'm shuddering now women I can barely even say it uh, got their <laughs> we need to unskew so the results of their test do you guys do you guys hear do you guys hear that they're making all themes reboot of Black Hawk Down. <laughs> no, what? no, no. That is yeah. bullshit. How was the week of uh, ghost bust training? Ghost busting training. <laughs> that must have been hell, right? Right. But like, the, the, okay, so aside from the fact that it is an intense physical crucible that you have to go through with, like, like you said, under sleep deprivation and, you know, not eating, like a lot of it is psychological too, right? Like it, it's, they're, like you, you can get washed out at any point because of like peer evaluation. Like a lot of it is about fitting in, right? Yeah, yeah. And I definitely got washed out my in forest phase for basically uh, for wait, mocking wait a second. Some what is people. forest phase? So there are three phases in ranger school. There's oh, forest. Like, wait, that sounds that, like a video game. It's not a Rush album title, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Ra oh, ranger right. You school. Said there's there's mountain phase, forest phase, and what's the other one? Uh, swamp phase. Swamp or, phase. Hell yeah. yeah. There used to be a desert phase, but they got rid of that because probably because the kids anyway, were complaining. So, yeah. Why, right, why bother right. to train? <laughs> right. The best training is experience. It's like functional strength. It's like the army is just like CrossFit. So, okay. So what did you get washed out of the forest phase for? So I got, I didn't get recycled. I just, I got peered and you can get peered once by your peers. Um, without being recycled. So I got peered for, uh, what happened was uh, I, I sort of got my uh, teammates in my squad mates in ranger school in, in my, th this forest phase in trouble for doing something that they shouldn't have done. We were all doing it, but I kind of got them in trouble. And then after I got them in trouble, I was making fun of them because they got in trouble for it and I didn't. Bad, bad move, you know, like who, <laughs> what kind of a jerk does that? Well. I did, and uh, then they peered me out of the squad, which I think was fair. That was, you know, that was just punishment for what I'd done. And um, and now, like, but like the ranger school, like you basically have to go through it if you want to climb the ladder in, in the army, right? 
does he get to the upper echelons of the army brass you have to go through ranger school right yeah, it's, I mean, it really is a good leadership school in the sense that it teaches you not to have a lot of ego about leading. Like uh, a lot of people, the worst, the worst army leaders are really in love with their, their authority and, and the trappings of power. And these people are easy to see because they don't do things like, you know, uh, sleep in the same type of quarters that soldiers do. They insist on air conditioning. They insist on uh, the, the best food. And they, 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 like, they like parades. They like uniforms. They like, uh, they like doing things that are about the military but aren't the military. And Ranger School teaches you that like the most important component of leadership is really just showing up and being willing to do whatever it takes to get the mission done. Which is a Matt, decent lesson. Matt, what was that you were saying about Grant? Oh, uh, that he was like the ultimate lunch pail general? Yeah. Yeah, the dude wore a private's uniform, got sh like horse shit all over him, ate with his troops. He was like Tebow. He was. He was the Tim Tebow of the Civil War. Tebow, Welker, <laughs> Welker, all the greats. Yes. His version of Tebowing was launching a, a blast of grape shot at the Confederate line. Westmoreland, on the other hand. Oh, God, uh, that's like diva. Terrell Owens. Westmoreland's such a <laughs> yeah. diva. He was like, rolling thunder, get your popcorn ready. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's like, I need, I, I need more Tomahawk missiles to feed my children, to melt he, my children. He was dancing, dancing in the end zone after winning the Tet Offensive. Yeah. It's like, hey, buddy, the game's not over yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fall to the ref and move on. The fall of Saigon was just like the failure of the skill position general. Absolutely. He was uh, zapping before the game was over. Yeah. Uh, another thing we wanted to ask you about, um, why, why do you think, is it just because of the book and the movie, but why do you think the American public has come to love snipers so much? And that is a great question. That's like that. That if if there's one question in American culture that that takes up too much time, too much of my time thinking about it, it is like the the enduring allure of Chris Kyle, the American sniper. Um, I I've I've taught that in all of the creative writing classes that I've done, American Sniper, and it's it's almost always the uh, the book that gets the the most attention and the best feedback. Um, the Love that sniper. It, interestingly enough, it was written by a guy named Jim DeFelice. It was uh, and, and tra transcribed from conversations that he had with Chris Kyle and Chris Kyle's wife. Um, so it wasn't actually written by Kyle. And there's a kind of um, I think I think what's so powerful about it about the book, uh, and it is powerful. If you can agree or disagree with a man's politics or, or disrespect the, his penchant for uh, exaggerating things that he did, like the alleged shooting of uh, looters from the top of the Super Bowl or punching Hell yeah, get Ventura. somebody! <laughs> uh, but we, had, we had Chris Kyle at Ferguson. None of this shit would ever happen. That's right. <laughs> knock them all out. Knock them, knock them out, Chris Kyle. Knockout game, SEAL style. Um, he, it's, it's just, it's, I think it's, it's that it's really sincere. And unfortunately, Americans have uh, a really, uh, they're, they're suckers for sincerity, even if, you know, what's, what's being said sincerely is, is horrible. Insane and, racist psychopathy? Yeah. I subscribe yeah. to the Chris Hooks thesis on why snipers are so popular. Yes, yes. Which is that we started off after 9-11 worshipping the troops sort of as a mass. But over time, 
being the hierarchical status obsessed idiots that we are we craved to find the elite within that mass of mm -hmm. troops to venerate above the rest because when you're just supporting the troops you're supporting like the guy who like works in the kitchen the guy who takes the shit out of the garbage the guy who like pushes pencils at the base headquarters whereas in yours worshiping a sniper and supporting a sniper that is the one percent of the troops that is the fucking Lehman the, the, the Goldman Sachs fucking board members of the troops and that's because they're baller and they're like elite and except we they never of, paid for no Hillary Clinton speeches <laughs> there we fit we fetishize the elite association of snipers and we can feel vicariously that same feeling of eliteness there's a I think the, um, an, another angle to it is that snipers are are they're, they're watchers and I think if David Foster Wallace were still alive today he would probably notice that there's a kind of masturbatory element to sniping you're sort of you're, you're looking at other people's lives through your scope you're kind of like getting off on it and then uh, and it's we like can a all... Brian De Palma movie yeah. <laughs> <Holy> <laughs> we can we can all relate to that you know you're sort yeah, of because oh, that's what are they the doing thing? over it's there like, we can't imagine ourselves like the fat ass war addicts that make up so much of America's white male population, they can't really realistically imagine themselves kicking down a door in Felicia and doing a house to house sweep because they're a little too, uh, you know, their knees are bad, they got a bit of a spare tire, you know, they got the, arrhythm the arrhythmia, so they can't do that kind of stuff, they get winded. But sniper, sit on your ass on the roof all day looking through a little uh, tube and then blowing somebody away whenever you want to, that's easy as shit. Yep. Yep. I, I have a sort of addendum to the uh, Chris Kyle thing. So uh, Chris Kyle, we found out posthumously, lied about a great deal to the point where he <laughs> lied about a Silver Star action. Uh, he already had and, one. Yeah, he already he had, had a fucking okay, one. Yeah, ex exactly. Now, let's go to another veteran, my favorite veteran, my former senator, Mark Kirk, <laughs> the greatest man running for a re-election now. For those of you who don't know, Mark Kirk started out his campaign by saying that Tammy Duckworth, a fellow veteran who had lost you, lost. Uh, well, I think she lost both her legs beneath the knee. Both her yeah. legs beneath the knee. Said she would not stand up for other veterans. <laughs> oh uh, no! Mark, Mark Kirk continued his brilliance by calling Senator Lindsey Graham, a fellow Republican, a bro without a hoe. Presumably, <laughs> <what's wrong. laughs> third of all, Mark Kirk did the greatest thing of all, and he lied about a commendation he got. Stole some was, fucking was, valor. So editorial uh, style. I actually I can no longer vote absentee in Illinois, and I kind of wish I could. Mark Kirk is going to lose, but I'd like to vote he for him. After November, he's, he's going to be Mark Merked. <laughs> he, but he's the irony candidate. I love him. But uh, it also made me, Chris Kyle also made me think of Mark Kirk, another famous valor thief. And Jesse Ventura, who I wouldn't really call a valor thief, but definitely embellished his own war record or lack thereof. I was merely I was a warrior. <laughs> I was extrapolating from extant experiences for dramatic impact. And I, but you, you come across as a pretty voracious guy. Like, I, I like to think I, we all have like a pretty good meter for bullshit. And, you know, we've never detected it from you, obviously. But why do you think, how common is this? for veterans to just embellish so greatly that it almost becomes a crime in the way that Kirk or uh, Kyle did. I think it's, I mean, it's it's pretty common with people who, uh, you know, when you go out drinking to the bar after your first deployment or your second deployment uh, to Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever, you know, so you hear all these stories, you see these things, and you want, you, you know, you know what that, that cool guy looks like. 
And I think with some people, they uh, they never get out of that bar. They, they got wasted at that bar and they're telling tall tales about how they were ranger seals and, you know, shooting the moon in the face and then kicking it when it fell. Uh, and they get home and they just keep, they start believing those stories. But it's pretty common. Like most people, um, people even people who see, you know, bad things like they 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 want to see the right kind of bad thing like they they want to they want to be able to say that they were in the shit man because i don't know because you don't want to be a loser um but what's what's weird is when you see people doing that in public running for public office on a family values campaign you're like well uh, i mean okay but so if you weren't in the shit why are you saying you were that's a bad place to be you shouldn't and you probably did bad things in the shit that's why it's the shit you know everyone's covered in shit and reeking of it uh you shouldn't brag about that that's that means that that's we probably shouldn't listen to you or, or you're i i don't i'm not running for politics although sometimes i think about it in part because when i'm sober i realize that i've been in the shit and i'm covered with shit so i shouldn't lead people politically in america and you've you've been in the shit and you've also been in the uh metaphorical shit which is our show <laughs> i think that kind of disqualifies you unfortunately uh, excuse me you think you've yeah. been in the shit have you checked out my mentions lately <laughs> <laughs> well actually this this is a this is a good segue because we wanted to have you talk about the, about about ukraine and, and your experience but also because you are going to be doing your own shit now adrian is starting you're starting your own troops cast with our friend uh francis aka army strang from twitter this is true. It's uh, it's really happening. We did a pilot episode uh, a couple days ago, or maybe it was even yesterday. Time seems to compress here, and it was uh, one of one of the most even even including Afghanistan and the military, one of the most embarrassing things that I've ever partaken in. <laughs> more uh, humiliating than Ranger School? Vastly more humiliating than Ranger School. Because at least in Ranger School, there were other people there that were making the humili humiliations happen. I could blame it on them. But this, I could only blame on myself. Um, but it's, yeah, I think it's going to be, uh, with that ringing endorsement, uh, once we've got it up and running, people should listen to it. They're well, going to learn a lot. Our first episode sucks, too. No, it's sure. one of the worst things <laughs> no, we've ever ever recorded there's guys, about approximately seven hours of it's, dead air it's a million hours of dead air and stammering anybody who's a fan of the show and trying to get friends into it always say start with the second yes. it's like <laughs> Simpson <laughs> seasons it's like Simpson seasons start with the second it was kind of like Star Trek the next we were, it was kind of like uh, you know in the movie in the Johnny Cash movie where he sings like the shitty gospel song and they're like get out of here kid that's the first episode <laughs> and then when he sings uh, he sings like the dark Johnny Cash song like whatever the fuck it was I don't know like ring of prison or whatever he sang <laughs> uh, I fell into a ring of prison that was like we were like hold on hold up mister we have another song and it was us right. making fun of Kevin Williams and they're like boys you got an original sound I can make this a hit so yeah no I mean we're, our, we're, the point is the only way to success is through failure and we're actually glad as your uh, as your uh, executives on the network on the Chapo network that your first episode was bad well, we're yeah no we're we're bringing you into the Chapo fold. We're giving you some of that CIA seed money for a troops cast because to show by the troops for the troops 
but we want to do it because we feel we should give back after all we've stolen from them. Discounted golden grand. Sometimes, sometimes I like go to the airport and say I'm a troop just so I can board on a Southwest flight first. You guys ever do that? <laughs> it's fucking tight. I was gonna say we originally, the three of us originally came together making fun of the Michael of the Benghazi movie. Yes, so I, yeah. feel, I still feel a little guilty about. I don't. That. Uh, yeah. Fuck the troops. Come on, fuck the troops. The troops. Matt, the rethink concept. this. No, I won't. It's a fucking propaganda earwig. It's fucking nefarious. It's like the worst kind of Burroughs esque word virus. Fuck the troops. What about support our moms? No, I'm all about that. We well, we support Adrian and Francis for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the thing is, if you want to support the troops, then by definition, you have to watch the, listen to the show too. You have you to have support to. the troops. You have like, to. What, it's like, what are some of the things that you guys are going to be be talking about on, on the show? And have you picked well, out a name yet? Well, I, 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 my my favorite name right now is uh, is Stolen Valor. Although uh, yes, uh, I like Francis that. is That's going good. toward trip talk. What you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> The, uh, I, I think we're going to be talking mostly about that intersection of politics or publicity um, and and veteran service, because there are a lot of people who the, the thing that um, enrages most of the vets that I know uh, and soldiers are those people who are very cynically cashing in on their veteran experience and kind of like becoming professional veterans uh, or have become that either for political reasons or just because it's a, a, a good gig. Uh, and that's not stolen valor. There are some people who are, you know, or are, are valorous who have done that. But then there is also stolen valor or, or distorted valor, like Kurt Schlichter. That lets you imagine. That Schlichter valor is diamond hard. Yeah, okay. Hey, hey, okay that valor is in its hot tub with its hot wife. Hey, hey, peak performance. Yeah, Adrian, you may have been in the valleys of Afghanistan, but Schlichter filed out TPS reports that you could never dream of. Yeah. He was in the shit in fucking Bosnia in a shitty little club in Sarajevo. He's surprisingly handsome. Instant coffee. You can't know what that's like. I don't. I don't know what it's like. And I want to. And that's why I bought a BMW, just to know what it was like. He's right. It's glorious. Kurt is big on the Whirlpool experience. Oh, Oh, wait, wait. Uh, One last question. In your experience in the military, did you meet or at any time serve under the wild man? <laughs> oh, I, I, I wish. I mean, I never would have left the military if I could have served under the wild man. He's a legend. With the balls He's like that, you'd have followed him into hell. Good Lord. Give my left eye tooth, whatever that is. <laughs> Love that wild man. Well, uh... Adrian, uh, thanks so much for talking to us. Um, and more importantly, thank you for your service to our podcast. <laughs> yeah. God, yeah, guys, uh, without, without irony, uh, Adrian and Francis are two of my favorite guys to follow online. And they have a very atypical, uh, they talk very atypically about their experience in the military. And we're really excited. It's going to be, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be about even, I might even say funnier, maybe at least as funny. As Beetle Bailey. (laughs) (laughs) You, sir, have insulted me. You, sir. You, sir. (laughs) How dare you? No, yeah, but we're we're super excited. We are going to bring the... Stolen Valor podcast, tentative title, uh, but we're, we're in, it's in the works, folks. It's going to be the uh, now the third 
show on the uh, the Chapo Network, and uh, we couldn't be happier. What about just like Trapocalypse now? <laughs> Trapocalypse now. <laughs> well, uh, my my original suggestion for the name of the show was would be Private Jokers because you know, like to me, one, yeah, Full Metal Jacket is my favorite uh, war movie. So, what about just? Uh, the title of one of my favorite video games, and it was sort of like a discarded 2005 Bush era military industrial term, and really fits us. Full spectrum warrior. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Oh wait, that's whatever Sorry. it is. We want people to uh, to stumble into this show unintentionally, become incredibly offended, and then swamp our mentions with uh, with criticism of us personally and how much money we're making, how we're part of the military industrial complex, deep state, all of that. That's that's okay. our goal. Adrian, last question. Seriously, last question. This is a real one, and this is sort of like in our other. Three line, which is uh, film and movies. In your opinion, has there been a single good or worthwhile or memorable movie, in your opinion, that's been made about America's post-9-11 wars? No. There really hasn't, right? No. Well, yeah, not get ready, all. because Ang Lee... Is oh, that movie looks so bad. Some amazing... That movie looks so bad. ...soporific sentimentality to the Iraq War. So strap in and get ready for that guy. Yeah, you, Sergeant Dork's Long Mile or something like you know, that. Halftime Walk or something. Yeah. If, if you think about it, we could have completed the Anbar Uprising a lot earlier if we did, if we had the aid of wire fighting. Yes, and, call, and the Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Hey, if, if Feminist Hulk was in Anbar Province, we oh would have God. solved a lot of... He would have been like, first off... All this violence is not okay. Yeah. Hulk, Hulk not saying he supported Saddam, but maybe Hulk saying that debathification was hasty. <laughs> Adrian, do you feel like gypped in any sense that the Vietnam War had so many good songs and movies? No, you know, it's. I, I was just thinking about this the other day that, like, the the Vietnam War, you don't hear much about it anymore. It's kind of been overtaken in its, like, grand uselessness, its, its grand failure by Iraq and Afghanistan. Like, I never would have guessed that in my lifetime I would see a bigger failure than Vietnam, and well, I participated in it. You know, well, it's, it's sort of like, amazing. You know, like the neocons, they wanted to get, um, like, the, like from the Reagan over, administration, they wanted to get over. Vietnam syndrome. Well, that's like, how you do it. That's how you do it. Just yeah, make it fuck we did. up. It's even bigger. Yeah, and people we did will it. get over it. It's yeah, like boys. an emotional uh, Ponzi scheme. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, and that's also how parenting works. They definitely have better movies about the Vietnam War. And that's because they don't give, like, ether-crazed madmen or, like, paranoid shut-ins millions of dollars to make uh, war movies anymore. It's true. That's, it's all, they're all, like, pleated dick, like, Brett Ratner types. Fuck you, Ridley or Scott. they are actually, like, auteurs, but they're auteurs of the worst sort of sentimental type, like Ang Lee or, or, or like, Paul fucking Haggis. Don't you think it would be good if uh, David O. Russell directed, like, sort of a whimsical... Iraq movie. He did. It's called Three Kings. And oh rules. God! You're right. Oh, I'm an idiot. I meant to say, uh, fuck. What's his name? Guy who did uh, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Yeah, Wes Anderson. Well, that yeah, would be amazing. If they're playing like David, David Bowie, Life on Mars during the Highway of Death in 1991. Yeah, yeah, and they're like firing like pea shooters at each other, and like the the, the Iraqis are dressed up like Indians with like big like fake uh, headdresses, and they're they're firing bows and arrows. And because it's Wes Anderson, like all the U.S. troops will have like. 
vintage combat fatigues from World War One or something. They'll be dressed like doughboys. There, there would be. Well, I mean, we want to do the Chalabi musical. That's <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thing. I actually would write that, but uh, in the Wes Anderson movie, it would be sort of like in Royal Tenenbaums. Like Chalabi looks at himself in the mirror. And he's like, I'm going to kill myself today. <laughs> like, needle in the hay. Elliot Smith. Yeah. yeah. But over over a uh, Suntar. <laughs> there's barely anybody left with the sort of cynical energy to really take it. Like, Paul Verhoeven, honestly, to mm. like hit yeah. a fucking oh, yeah. repeated note, is the only guy yeah, who only can one really who can do scabrously it, yeah. like, convey the Iraq War. It would, ha- it would be good if we just did Goodfellas but for uh, Al-Qaeda in Iraq. For Al-Qaeda in Mesopotamia. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. We, call, we called him Al-Baghdadi. That wasn't his last name but he was. But he claimed that it is his jihad name. Ever since we, I, was, they, you know, I always wanted to be a Tak Fury. <laughs> Maybe get if, if we could activate Herzog in his sort of uh, more insane oh, moments Herzog. to follow Matthew Van Dyke yeah. around. Yeah. Dude, that, uh, the Herzog documentary about the oil fires after the first Gulf yeah. War is amazing. It's fantastic. It's so fantastic. fucking haunting. Have him follow Matthew Van Dyke around for a month in his weird Christian militia fighting alongside the Kurds in Northern oh, Iraq. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be serious. Hell yeah, bitch. Dude, done. Episode over. Hollywood, if you're listening, Contact you know us. how to get Let us, us print your money for you. <laughs> Adrian, <laughs> Adrian, thanks again for talking to us. Uh, Chapo Nation, be on the lookout soon for the Stolen Valor podcast. Or Stolen Valor. Whatever it's called. Whatever we call it. It's the Troops cast. Troops cast. The Chapo, the, the Chapo USO tour. So thanks for having me on, man. Our pleasure. Cheers. Bye-bye. Scrutinize every word, memorize every line. I spit it once, review, re-energize every wine. I get sight to the blind, my insight through the mind. I exercise my right to express when I feel it's time. It's just all in your mind, what you interpret it as. I say the fight you take it as I'ma whip someone's ass. If you don't understand, don't even bother to ask. A father who has grown up with a fatherless past. My friends, the most valuable commodity that you have. Do you know what it is? Do you know what the most valuable commodity is that you have? It's your time. It's your time. See, I just had a guy on the, on, on Facebook say, hey man, I want to pick your brain, whatever, whatever. I said, cool. Here's what my daily consulting rate is. Oh, dude, that's ridiculous. What, you charge? What did it? If you called a lawyer right now and said, hey, can I pick your brain? What's they going to tell you? Sure, I have an hourly rate or I have, a, I have an introductory cost. If you call a doctor and say, I want to pick your brain, what do they tell you? Sure, come on in and we'll chat and then I'll send you the bill for my time. And so when I tell people that my time has value and that I charge for my time, well, you're an asshole. You're just a dude from the internet. You're a whatever, whatever. Why should I pay you for your time? Because I value my time. Because my time has value. I produce results with my time. And if you want it, I'm happy to give it to people that are willing to invest in it. Because most people, guess what? Want to know what most people are not willing to do? They're not even willing to invest in themselves, let alone your time. People don't value their time. People just fuck around and do whatever they want to do, and yet they get mad when I say my time has 
value. My friends, I'd have you consider for a second that if you want to make more money, if you want to be more successful, if you want more connection, understand that your time has value. And as soon as you recognize your time as valuable, you stop wasting it on people that want to waste your time. You invest it wisely because guess what? I don't get my time back. And so I'm not going to waste it on things that don't serve my purpose, things that don't get me where I want to be. So understand, my friends, your time has value. The question is, do you value your time? Have an amazing day. Amazing God, bless day. God bless America. God bless America. God bless America. God bless America. God bless America.